0: Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at Commonwealth Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet
1: everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. woo Yes. All right, well, here we go. Uh, continuing on, herbs A to Z, with some wanders in the alphabet here and there. Um, <laughs> <coughs> we it's not are... all
0: of the herbs A to Z. It is uh, yeah, no. <laughs> the herbs that are on our uh, set of shelves on our wall.
1: Our apothecary shelves, yeah. If you're uh, just jumping in, if this is your first episode, then Welcome. Um, and you may have seen in the feed that we've had a number of episodes in this series so far. There's going to be a lot more because we're still in letter A <laughs> at the beginning. So we have
0: a lot of herbs on our shelf, is what we're saying. We do, we do. Yeah.
1: Today we're going to be talking to you about Asclepius. That's pleurisy root or butterfly weed. Uh, a couple other names out there, and we're going to talk also about Aspalathus, and that one is rhubarb.
0: I'm really excited about both of these. I'm really, really excited about both of these.
1: It's going to be good. But first, let's remind you that we are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators.
0: The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. So these discussions are for educational purposes only.
1: We want to remind you that good health doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Good health doesn't exist as an objective standard. It's influenced by your individual needs, experiences, and goals. So, we're not trying to present a dogmatic, right way that you should adhere to.
0: Everybody's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some good information to think about and some ideas to research further.
1: Finding your way to better health is both your right and your own personal responsibility. This doesn't mean you're alone on the journey, but it does mean that the final decision when considering any course of action, whether it's prescribed by a physician or discussed on the internet, is always yours to make.
0: hmm Yeah. I'm also pretty excited to say that Mountain Rose Herbs is sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Mountain Rose Herbs. Yes. Um, and this is pretty exciting because <clears throat> recently, um... I'm actually, I'm pretty sure that I said this in a podcast that I had ordered something from Mountain Rose Herbs that I had not told you about that was going to be a surprise. And it was a good surprise. It was a good surprise. It arrived. It is. So I have always wanted one of those cast iron teapots and I've never had one. (laughs) And I, I like so many people have them and they're really cool and you can get them at, you know, places where fine teapots are sold. I don't know. But I just never had one. And I was on the Mountain Rose website and getting some herbs and I just clicked on the, they have like a tea accessories group of things that they sell and there's like the really handy tea strainers and um, like the linen tea bags and the mm. disposable tea or the compostable tea bags and different mm. kinds of things. Okay, but they also have some cast iron teapots and they're really beautiful and there's one That is kind of a, like, mahogany brown with, like, coppery bronze. Um, I don't know. It's very pretty is what I'm telling you. (laughs) And I could not believe that it was only $30. And I was like, that's going right into my cart. And the whole point was, I was like, you know, we should have a more organized tea time in the afternoon where we just say, It's tea time. We're just going to stop everything and we're going to drink this tea and be really excited. I mean, we drink tea all day, but like, we're going to have a special pot of tea that's separate from the all day long tea and, and, uh, like just take a little break in the middle of the afternoon. And we have these two tins of rooibos tea. One is um, vanilla rooibos and the other it's actually honeybush.
1: Yes, we're going to circle back to that one.
0: Right, 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 (laughs) right. Um, And I have really been wanting to have them for tea time, but, um, you know, we always make like a giant three liter thing of tea for the whole day and whatever. Well, anyway, so I got this teapot. I love it. Um, And What we always put in the teapot is the rooibos, which we're going to talk about today. So that's totally awesome. But anyway, uh, my point here is at Mountain Rose Herbs, there's so much more than just dry herbs.
1: Yeah. So check
0: it out. They have a whole selection of cast iron teapots. There's like, well, there is one that's red and it was very difficult to choose between (laughs) the one that was brown with (laughs) copper and the red one because... Because y'all really loves red, I I
1: like the one you got, it has great texture on the yeah, yeah, I
0: really like it too. There also was a blue one, and I was like, Oh, but I like blue, and then I was like, No, because I think we would both love the brown one, and it has those just the coppery bits. Yeah, they're beautiful, is what I'm telling y'all, they're not expensive. (laughs) Check them out mountainroseherbs.com. It's it's just it's fun, you can get your you can get your rooibos. Mm-hmm. You can get it by the pound. You can get it by the tin. You can get it any way you want. Mm-hmm. You can get your pleurisy root, mm-hmm. uh, and you can get a new cast iron teapot. A fancy teapot. Yes.
1: Nice. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and, and talk about pleurisy root, um, Asclepias tuberosa. Uh, this is a, a relative of the very common herb milkweed.
0: Yes. And actually you mentioned butterfly weed as a common name for it, which is true, but I never, ever refer to it as butterfly weed. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because, um, a lot of people also refer to milkweed as butterfly, butterfly weed. And as a teacher, I don't want to be setting up that kind of confusion, especially because milkweed is not really, um, like the, like well-suited for making tea or taking internally, Um, there are a few situations in a, in a, in a pinch that I might work with it for a very short period of time, but it's really not, um, a plant for humans. It's really a plant for pollinators and that's okay. Not all plants have to be for humans. Well, okay, actually, let me take that back. (laughs) One of my very favorite remedies for when you're feeling really low and discouraged um, and it happens to be the right time of year is to go out in a field of milkweed and just lay down in it. Because first off, the pink blossoms smell so good. Mm. And if you lay down in it, then all these butterflies are like flying over your head. And it's kind of amazing. So in this way, actually, this is, I think this is my favorite way for humans to work with milkweed. <laughs> um, uh, nice. <clears throat> but, but Asclepius pleurisy root is the orange flowers.
1: Right, yeah, similar similar shape S- similar and structure shape, and all that. Yeah. But orange.
0: A l- a little bit less of a pom pom. Mm-hmm.
1: Um
0: but bright orange, not pink. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite plants. You do work with you do work
1: this work, work with this herb pretty frequently. Um and uh, not always for pleurisy.
0: Yeah, rarely <laughs> for pleurisy, So right? what what
1: is the deal with that, right? So like the name of the herb uh, is in reference to a particular like, I guess, disease or a condition. And, um, this happens, you know, with herbs now and then you've got like gravel root, uh, let's see, pleurisy root. There's a few others that are like that. Um, where yeah, it's, And it's all like, of
0: them are, oh, feverfew. Yeah, there you go. Um, right. So well, it's like. I'll think of some more. They're, they're like names. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they, they tell you something about what they do or what they're for. But nowadays people are like, yeah, yeah. Pleurisy. That's a thing I know about. Sure. And
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like people don't think about pleurisy as much these days, unless you have had it. And if you had, uh, then you definitely know about it and it's super unpleasant.
1: Yeah. But you know, we did talk about this in a a way back episode of the podcast where we were talking about herbs and grief, uh, and about, uh, pleurisy root and about other herbs for dealing with, um, a kind of, uh, kind of like grief driven or emotion driven, uh, state like pleurisy. Right, where you're
0: where you're just so dried out because um, you've been grieving too long, or so dried out because you have spent all of your emotion. Yeah. Mm. Also, y'all, can I just say, he does that off the top of his head. He doesn't even look them up. He's like, oh, remember that time two years ago? We've been doing the podcast for five years. We just crossed our five-year anniversary like two weeks ago. Five years? Yes, five what? years. And you still are like, yeah, remember three years ago when we did this episode about this thing? I'm like, how do you remember that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was there at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that is a that is a, a way that we've turned to this, right? So, the, like, the, the original, like, pleurisy is, is uh, you've probably had some inflammatory lung condition. You've probably been coughing and hacking a bunch. Uh, but your lungs and also the sac that contains the lungs they get dried out, and especially if between the two of them you lose a kind of a lubrication. That's super important because your lungs have to expand, and you want them to, like, glide and slide and not scrape and grind, yeah. you know? So when things get dried out in one of those, like, containing uh, structures in the body, then it's, it's really problematic, and it's it can be very, very painful.
0: Super uncomfortable, yeah. yeah. Um, so pleurisy is super... Uh, common when like you've had a long lung infection that wasn't quite bad enough to be able to stay home from work and, you know, like walking bronchitis or whatever. Um, Walking bronchitis is not really actually a thing, but you know what I mean? Like you, you've just had bronchitis for so long, but you've been going to work anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually one of the most common ways it happens is having an unattended, um, Respiratory infection, and uh, un- by unattended, I mean, listen, you got to go to work. You're not allowed to just stay home. We don't have sick time that is really supportive of actual being sick and becoming healthy. Mm. Um, and so you do what you got to do, and you just cough a lot through it, right? And then over time, there's so much depletion and and dryness that builds up that that. Re- um, resolves itself or de- devolves itself into, um, pleurisy, this, this dry inflammation of the lungs.
1: Yeah. So we need some herbs to direct moisture over there and, mm. um, lubricate, you know, <laughs> so the muscle nerves <laughs> can be super helpful. Simple, simple marshmallow can help, but pleurisy works at kind of a, I don't know to say it works at a deeper level, or it's just well,
0: it's not a demulcent.
1: <laughs> no, right? It's just... definitely yeah. not a
0: demulcent, and that's really important to note because we're going to talk about other ways to work with pleurisy. Mm. It's a, it's a fluid shifter. Yeah, it's a <laughs> yeah, it's a fluid shifter. It is a fluid redirector, mm. and you know you you got to remember, your lungs are part of your systems of elimination. We don't usually think about that i think because most of the time when we think about lungs and breathing we think about taking in oxygen and we don't usually think about the exhale and i think about how you know when you're doing some kind of meditation or whatever and often they say don't worry about the inhale just think about the exhale Mm -hmm. and how much our culture has to be told that Mm
1: -hmm. you know Mm
0: -hmm. i think in general we just don't think about exhalation very much Which we should. So much is happening with exhalation. Um, But that is, among other things, a a primary way that, that, oh, I hate the word toxins, uh, but I'm going to say it, uh, that toxins leave your body. And some of those toxins are just, you know, regular old metabolic waste.
1: I mean, hell, that includes carbon dioxide.
0: <laughs> right? right, exactly. Like, exactly. You, have to, you
1: have to get that out of you. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to feel
0: great. <laughs> right, 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 right. But it also includes yeah. uh, some of the volatile oils in garlic. You know, that's not exactly a toxin. Mm. In fact, that's great. Um, but, but as we eat garlic and we digest it, and then the way that parts of the garlic, the volatile oil component of the garlic leaves the body ultimately is through the lungs, um, which is why you get garlic breath. It's not because it's stuck on your tongue. It's because you're aspirating out those volatile oils. Yeah. Okay. But so, so that's where the function of pleurisy root really comes in is if you remember that, your lungs are eliminating things from your body and moisture is one of the things to eliminate from the body, pleurisy root is moving fluid from other parts of the body to the lungs. And uh, ultimately you will, you will exhale that fluid. But if the lungs are super dry, they will hold on to what they need.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when we, when we say something like that, that the herb is going to move fluid from somewhere else in the body. Uh, that Im- implies a couple of things. First off, if somebody had this kind of state in the lungs and they were dry everywhere, we wouldn't just say drink some pleurisy and be done with it. Mm. Or even more, just take some tincture of pleurisy root and be done with it. Oh
0: boy, right? yes.
1: <laughs> um, at the very least to have that water preparation, so then you have introduced some fluid into the system and now you can let the herb direct it where it needs to go. But even better is to to either in the same preparation or in, in like a sequence to have something that's just straight up hydrating and moistening to the body. Marshmallow root, linden, something like this. Um, and then to cycle that with with the pleurisy root as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You can even put them together. I've definitely done that. Marshmallow root, pleurisy mm-hmm. root, some cinnamon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: but so that fluid moving, that's, I think that's my favorite part about pleurisy root. So this is where, um, when I was a kid, uh, I used to really enjoy historical fiction a lot. Um, And in historical fiction, that is, I think, one of the only places that you still see the word dropsy. Um, And as a kid, I always thought that meant some kind of palsy, some kind of shaking disorder or fainting disorder or something like that.
1: probably means you fall down right Right? you you drop to the ground yeah
0: exactly that's always what i thought it was um yeah that's not what dropsy is um dropsy is basically another word for edema it 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 was a little bit um you know there are lots of different kinds of edema and there is some specificity about edema with uh, uh, potential cardiovascular weakness potential kidney weakness And maybe those two things are going to play into any form of edema, but not necessarily if you're just like pregnant, you know, Yeah. or if you sprained your ankle, like you can have, you can have temporary like situational edema too.
1: Yeah. You can have like fluid bloating around the belly from your unrecognized food intolerance, right? you know, and and that may not mean that you've got poor circulation or your heart's weak or whatever else.
0: Right. Or you could have, um, you can get edema from a high sodium diet which eventually will cause weakness both in the kidneys and the heart, but not right off the bat, you know, yeah. you'll get, you'll get the fluid retention long before you have yeah. the, the more like organ based long-term damage. Yeah.
1: But yeah, that like classic dropsy is like, uh, your heart's not really keeping up, you know, the fluid has dropped to the bottom of the body. Mm-hmm. It's kind of stuck there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today we would read that and say like, yeah, there's also a sedentism aspect to this, right? Yes, Cause your heart's, job is not to move the blood every single place in your body, you know, and, uh, as far as your lower body is to circulate those fluids, um, the major organ is walking. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, it's the, the muscles in the legs, you know, you got to get them moving and working and that's how that fluid will circulate. So yes, uh, we often do recommend pleurisy together with a nice long walk.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so pleurisy is very helpful in bringing that fluid back up.
1: Uh, and we both just did it, so sometimes we'll say pleurisy and we'll be referring to the root. Um, oh,
0: right, right, right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> right. So
1: if we say something like, hey, pleurisy is really great for this watery problem, we mean we mean the ear. You're but... <laughs> right.
0: That sounds absolutely ridiculous, and I've never realized that we do that all of yeah, the time. Yeah, all the time, all the time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, pleurisy root mm-hmm. um, is really, really helpful in bringing that fluid up from uh, the lower depths and, mm. and then ultimately you're going to exhale that fluid, but that's where the moistening action is coming from. It is bringing fluids up from lower parts of the body into the lungs. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that because I have, you know, some varicose veins. Honestly, I started, I got my first varicose vein when I was like still in high school. So, you know, it's a family tradition. And um, also a tendency to retain fluid in the lower Part of my body is a, it's a family tradition. Um, you know, <laughs> these things, these things, uh, it, to say they're hereditary is true. It's, but, it's more
1: accurate than saying that they're genetic.
0: Right, right, right. To say they're hereditary is true. I mean, we just have to remember that we inherit many things. We inherit physical attributes and we also inherit habits mm-hmm. and
1: preferences. Yeah.
0: Right. And so my habits that I inherited from my family culture reinforced the physical attributes and presto pericos veins Mm. anyway so i love working with pleurisy root in that regard but there's more because pleurisy root has this kind of organizing effect on fluid it's like it's like it's a really good shepherd of cats it just, it really just, or it's like the Pied Piper of, of fluid in your body. And so, what I find is um, if you are a person, and this is me sometimes for sure, if you're a person who pees all of the time, you're like every hour, every 45 minutes, you're like, oh, gotta pee, oh, gotta pee. And you don't pee a lot, but you have to pee. Uh, it, like, I don't mean that you have a UTI. I just like just regular yeah. pee but but frequently enough that it's kind of annoying. You know that nothing is exactly wrong with you, but it, it's just annoying. Um and I actually at least in my experience often that is kind of a precursor of yeah, something's not awesome. Yeah, I
1: mean, you know, if this is a long-term situation, it could be a sign of some, you know, low-level but ongoing inflammation, mm-hmm. you know, around the bladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very mild form of interstitial cystitis or something like that.
0: Yeah, like pre... <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Those sorts of symptoms. So, um, at any rate, what I find... or And this is super annoying, especially if it happens at night. Like, if you get up four times in, at night to pee, that's what I'm talking about. Mm. And pleurisy root helps to like consolidate your pee.
1: There was a while when you were really struggling with that, the nighttime yeah. thing. Yeah. N- night- nighttime waking with this. Yeah. And uh,
0: and so instead of peeing, instead of getting up to pee four times, you get up to pee once and you pee a lot. Yeah. Instead of four times where you just pee some.
1: Right. This is that, you, that consolidation effect. Yeah. That, that you refer to.
0: Yeah. It's pretty amazing.
1: This is something that you observed in yourself. And then I've shared with a lot of students and clients, but mm-hmm. I don't know that, this aspect of work with pleurisy root is something that's like written down or?
0: Well, I think so where I want to look for it, but in the definitely more than 10 years that I've been working with pleurisy root that way, I just haven't had time yet and I don't understand why that is. <laughs> um, but the place I want to look for it is in like the physiomedicalists mm. um like the old books from the late 1800s. Um, we're not going to see that in modern writing i i really don't think Mm -hmm. but it makes a lot of sense if you think about like if you think about dropsy in general you think about the specific um like the specific nuance aspect of dropsy which is the association with kidney weakness Mm -hmm. okay listen kidneys aren't weak all on their own like they're tied in literally to the bladder like these are not Right. You don't have like super bladder and sad kidneys. That's not (laughs) how it goes. Although interestingly, so I've had, I was, um, you know, when I was very young, I was hospitalized with kidney problems. Um, and, and have always had, uh, kidney and, and bladder issues. And one of the things in my life that also went along with that was, um, I, I hated to pee at school and you know, I mean, I was hospitalized for kidney issues long before I even got to school, but, um, but then I got to school and I didn't want to pee at school. And so I would just hold my pee like all day long. And I did have a super bladder kind of (laughs) like my bladder was not happy about this. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But I think about that now when I think about my bladder and kidney stuff and I'm like, man, my poor bladder. Like, what the heck did I do? Like, it didn't start out strong to begin with. And then what did I do to it when I was a kid? Like, mm. whatever. One of the one of the rounds of um, doctor visits about it yielded me a Mickey Mouse watch, <laughs> though that was pretty great. And I was supposed to, like, Mickey Mouse was supposed to tell me when I had to pee. It was the, whatever. The things you remember about childhood, right? Okay. Mm. Definitely sharing way too much about my pee with, with y'all. <laughs> I'm just glad I can't see you right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, there's a, there's like an emotional echo there with that, that like holding things in, uh, mm. kind of a tendency. And, um, I don't know when you tell some of these stories, it, it, it sort of feels like you want to go back in time and give yourself some, some. I do. sclepius uh, back in the day.
0: I do. And some advice, too. Holy cow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: When will we please invite time travel? Mm. That would be great. Yeah. Anyway, pleurisy route. It's not just for pleurisy anymore. Um, In fact, it never was just for pleurisy. And I really, I really encourage you to experiment with this plant. I think that a a lot of people don't really work with it because if you haven't had pleurisy, then you think, well, okay, then I don't need that plant. But if you are a person who has lower body dampness, if you're a person who has weak kidneys, weak bladder, um, if you pee all the time, if you can't keep your fluids moving, any of those kinds of things, really try it. Listen, It doesn't taste bad. Um, it doesn't, it, maybe it isn't like super exciting, but it doesn't taste bad at all. If you toss a little cinnamon in there, it's fantastic. Mm. Um, maybe just for fun, because our society is so depleted, toss a little codenopsis in as well. It's going to be actually really quite tasty, quite pleasant to work with. I put pleurisy root in my not coffee every morning. Um, you know, that's all, well, okay, listen, You know what the not coffee is. You've been listening. I don't have to tell you. (laughs) It's in like every other episode.
1: There's lots of herbs in there.
0: But it, it, correct
1: me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you added Ella Campaign and Pleurisy Root to your not coffee combo at the same time. That Hmm. may
0: have been true.
1: That might have happened. But I, I, I don't
0: always put Ella in. Mm. I do it when I'm having some respiratory thing. Mm-hmm. But Ella not always in there. Mm. Angelica always is. Pleurisy always is. Ashwagandha always is. And reishi. Mm. And then eh, Other it things. gets wobbly yeah. after that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Whatever I feel like. Yeah.
1: But you know, Ella We do often put uh, Ella campaign and pleurisy root together, um, particularly if there's been a, a, like a chronic lung problem that's sort of. Mixed presentation, like maybe there's some phlegm that we want to try to motivate out, but we're having trouble getting it moving. Mm. So the Ella campaign is to give the motivation and the, the expectoration, the pleurisy is to like moisten the lungs up enough that that can effectively happen.
0: Right, yeah. right, right.
1: And it's a really effective pair. Um, we, we turn to that for uh, pretty severe cases, you know.
0: I do prefer these in water. I, in general, I prefer pleurisy root in water, almost always Mm -hmm. i i this this doesn't feel like a tincture plate it's not like i hate all tinctures i take plenty of tinctures there's like 10 tincture bottles on my desk right now oh look i think there's 13. and i take them all the time i don't want to be like tinctures are bad signed katya you know no but but it's just so so easy
1: to yeah it's so easy for people to be like i'm gonna get my herb uh the easiest way is a tincture awesome right and then they don't drink more tea in their day and
0: (laughs) right right right
1: (laughs) You know, there's tons of benefits to just having a warm beverage on a regular basis, and uh, we, yeah, we're big fans of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I do prefer it in water, but if you're going to mix a la with it, now you're going to need um, some much stronger flavoring agents, and you know, putting it into a not coffee blend. Heck, just putting a little decaf coffee in with it that will do the trick. But otherwise, it's going to need to be like good strong chai spices. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about rooibos next. Uh, so this Yay! is Aspalathus linearis. Um, this is a plant from South Africa, uh, and it's been it's it's like popularizing. You know, like rooibos is something now that you can find. Um, I think that there have even been some Starbucks drinks that have had this available in them. Yeah. And things like that. Um, but it's you know it's it's been getting attention and getting interest as like a black tea alternative or a green tea alternative. It's not caffeinated. Um, but otherwise like some of its sensory qualities are kind of similar to drinking some tea, but it's, it's honestly got a lot, m- how to say this, not a lot more going on, but it, it, for me, it is a very different flavor from black or green tea. Yeah. I one agree. one thing that I would advise though, is if you, if you're interested uh, to get your hands on some green rooibos and, and try that as well. The most common form you're going to find, rooibos, is red. And this is really similar to the difference between black and green tea, by which I mean they come off of the same plant. So with, you know, with with green and black tea, it's the Camellia sinensis tea plant. Um, And uh, what you do is you, you have the herb, you gather it, and if you just straight up dry it carefully, you're going to get the green form. So that's green tea or green rooibos. But, uh, what they'll often do instead is kind of like bruise the leaves while they're still fresh or even like spritz them with some, some water and keep them someplace warm. Traditionally, this would have been just like big heaps of the herb, like piled, you know, in, on, a, on a tarp or something and, mm. you know, allowed to, to kind of hang out there for a bit. Nowadays they have, you know, industrial versions of that with like rotating drums and, right, you know, right, heat right. and temperature is controlled and all of this, but it's a... It's it's essentially an oxidization process that you're you're encouraging to occur. Um, it's usually referred to as a fermentation process uh, with rooibos, Sometimes they say that it's a, a sweating process, but it is like chemically, what's happening is that there's some oxidation going on, and that's why you get that that reddening. Right, the the plant gets kind of a rusty color. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but with with and you know, also with like black tea and and uh, what what do you call it? Oolong tea, it's kind of similar. Um, it changes the flavor a bit. And with rooibos, it gives it that vanilla like kind of scent. If you if you get the green rooibos and you make tea with that, you sniff it or or, you know, make a drink with it. It it's a quite different flavor, honestly. Yeah, I mean it's um, still so nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, It's like so it. Very nice. Yeah,
1: I like it for sure. Um, but I definitely see why the the red. You know, why the good, all the trouble? Roybus is is the most popular. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Yes, yes. Um, it's you a... know
0: actually speaking of all the trouble,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Roybus is in fact quite a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, it was a long time. You know, this was a plant that that grows native. It it grows like in the wild in, uh, the part of Africa that is today called South Africa in Southern Africa. Um, and, uh, the traditional people who lived there would go and gather the leaves and work with them. But the problem is that the seeds of the plant are so tiny that they're kind of impossible, like, like actually functionally impossible to gather. And yeah. it wasn't until late in the eighteen hundred. No, it was, it was later a, than yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't really
1: until like the 1950s that yeah. they were seriously commercializing it. And that was like there had been some attempts to like, you know, uh, cultivate the seeds and everything. There was a lot of uh, time in like figuring out how to well, yeah, physically treat the seeds and Right. Order well, to get first them they to had grow. to figure out
0: how to gather right. them. Right. And, or to gather enough of them that they could have,
1: have something to work with. Yeah,
0: wide scale cultivation. And then. They wouldn't germinate. Right. <laughs> uh, and they had to figure out how to get them to germinate. And then once they got through all that, then they could actually make big rooibos. Um Probably plantations is the right word. Probably. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: But so... Um... <clears throat> So, yeah, so, um, not the easiest thing, uh, to, to grow. Um, and it's, it's still, you know, certainly compared to tea or coffee mm-hmm. or, or other ma- major beverages, even like mate, I'd say probably has a greater uh, amount of like acreage and cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, it's controlled and actually, um, uh, I was going to come to this in a minute, but there was something intriguing I found while, while digging into this, um which was that uh, in in 1994, a company in the United States tried to uh, register the term rooibos as a trademark. Um, and this was, you know, people didn't really know about rooibos in the US at the time. Mm. Um, it doesn't feel even that long ago, but it's, yeah. you know, it wasn't a thing. Uh, but um, it started to and then like, by 2005, um, there was a, a lawsuit that was brought to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Um, the American Herbal Products Association was involved in that. Um, a couple of other companies got in, got in on the action there. Um, but uh, they put a number of different cases up, and the company that had, had put in that trademark for rooibos, um, they lost, and then they surrendered the name and put it back in the public domain. Um, so that, that intrigued me because ever since the whole firesider thing, Um, I've been curious about places where herbalism and like patent law and trademark Mm. law uh, come together. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is an interesting case like that.
0: Yeah. I feel really grateful that that was freed up, but I think that uh, this portion of the podcast really is about the um, colonized and exploited nature of, of rooibos for so long. And Mm -hmm. um, so so first, I want to just recognize that, that, that this is a plant that, um, you know, was worked with traditionally, but then um, had a lot of exploitation. Hmm. Um, and and so now, like, I mean, I love rooibos. I really love to drink it. But just make sure that, that you take care with your source, with your sourcing and that the rooibos that you get is fair trade.
1: Yeah. This is interesting. To, I hadn't put these thoughts together before this moment, but um, in 2005... Uh, I had my first cup of rooibos tea, and I only remember that because I was living in Paris at the time, and I had made friends with a South African girl, and, uh, we would hang out and smoke cigarettes on the roof, and she would give me rooibos tea that she brought from home, (laughs) and it was amazing, so, um... Yeah, that was nice. <laughs>
0: well, but, uh, uh, I guess
1: that was about the same time that Robus was uh, expanding in popularity here in the U.S. too.
0: <laughs> yes, although you probably would have had it regardless of that because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. Because she had brought it from home.
1: <laughs> Good stuff. Um, so Roybus, uh if you haven't had it before, um, like I mentioned before, it has kind of like a vanilla, a very slight smokiness to it, but not the kind of smoky that's going to turn you
0: off. <laughs> See, I would never say that there's any kind of smoky in it, but that's only because anything smoky does not appeal to like me it, yeah. <laughs> unless it is bacon. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: but it, you know, it has low tannins, um, and that's nice because you can leave it steeping a long time, or you can put it into something, even a even a decoction. Um, mm. You can put it in there and cook it a good long time, and it's not going to make your drink like unpleasantly astringent or excessively bitter or anything else. No, it really
0: just still, I mean, we did that the other day when I, there was some leftover in the aforementioned cast iron teapot Mm -hmm. and I just put it on the stove and heated it up again and then sort of forgot about it for a little while. And this poor pot of rooibos was um, really overheated and also neglected for a long time. Tasted great. It was, it tasted (laughs) fantastic. Not bitter, not astringent.
1: Yeah. Really great.
0: Not that I would mind if it were astringent. Not that you would mind if it was bitter, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) what I'm saying is it still tasted like ruffus.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, constituent-wise, the plant's been investigated a bunch uh, recently, and it has a ton of different polyphenols in it. Um, There's a few compounds that seem unique to this herb or, you know, are found in like a a small handful of herbs uh, around the world. And it has a bunch of uh, metabolically helpful uh, uh, agents in it, including some plant acids, Um, And again, these, these same polyphenols, Um, when I say metabolically helpful, uh, I mean that in a few ways. The most obvious one is that this herb is a powerful anti-inflammatory, and that's probably the, the way that most of us are thinking about and understanding this herb nowadays. Um, The color of the plant, the, the redness that comes out when you, when you make tea with it, um, that's also like a demonstration of its, of its antioxidant capacity. And antioxidants are anti-inflammatory. They help our bodies to respond to inflammation. They help us to get it under control um, and mitigate the damage that it can cause when that's, you know, long-standing. Mm. So that's pretty much all um, that is is currently, at least in the United States, uh, emphasized about rooibos. But there's a lot more to this herb. Um, and I'm starting to learn a little bit about that. Uh, in... Uh, actually, I've got a couple of good uh, articles in the show notes for you. Um, these are from a couple of different medical journals. One is Evidence-Based, Complementary, and Alternative Medicine, which is a, a pretty decent journal. Um, you know, by and large, they have uh, often got some some good uh, herbalism articles in there. And then there's another one from the South African Journal of Botany. So, of course, most of the work on this plant is being done uh, in in Africa and in South Africa especially. Um, And there it's being recognized more and more as like a multifactorial uh, medicinal plant. Some of its longest standing traditional uh, indications uh, seem to be around digestive uh, upsets and primarily the service of digestive relaxant to help out with things like colic, which is like cramping, you know, and and pain in the Mm -hmm. in the guts um, not just for and babies <laughs> I was gonna say
0: associated with babies, but listen, you know if you're feeling colic and if you're feeling cramping and pain in your guts and it's hard to eat, and when you eat it feels bad, that you don't have to be a baby for that to be colic or a horse, like horses of any age we say we will say that they have colic, but mm-hmm. uh, no, you too can have colic, you don't have to be a baby, yeah, you yeah. might be being a baby about it, sure, but, sure uh, yeah. you know yeah. that's fair allowed, that's you know appropriate,
1: right. Yeah, for, for that, for cramps, uh, for nausea as well, this herb seems to have a, a decent amount of traditional indications for that. Um, the relaxant effects of this herb were a mild surprise to me, um, for, like reading it on paper, but then pausing and considering and being like, well, when I drink it, yeah. And actually, like, sometimes if I am having an upset stomach, I'm like, so rub here would be really great. Um, I hadn't, like verbally in my head associated it with a relaxant effect, but that totally makes sense. And that's seen other places in the body too, like in the vasculature, um, this herb can help to bring down blood pressure if that's driven by hypertension, um, which is you know super common. And even in the musculature, this herb has been identified to have some antispasmodic effects. So think about cramping or shaking uh, kind of problems too. Mm.
0: That I think is one of the reasons that I like it so much is like, I really do have a strong tendency to crave antispasmodic herbs yeah one thing that i find really interesting oh, we should have
1: we should have chamomile and rooibos together that'd be uh, so good yeah
0: that'll be yeah. tea time tomorrow <laughs>
1: yeah
0: um so one thing i was gonna say about that relaxant effect is that uh you know a pure relaxant effect just a straight i'm thinking of something like kava right Is super uncomfortable in my body i don't I don't want that much relaxation. I do not want to be a puddle of mush. That feels not good to me. Um, And Roybus does have a little astringency. It has a a lot of relaxation. It Mm -hmm. has antispasmodic action, but you can taste it. There's a little bit of astringency. I mean, nothing like uva ursi, not even as much as ladies mantle. So just a little bit of astringency. And when I'm... um, You know, sometimes I don't feel awesome and I'm like, oh, I got to I got to pull myself together, you know, or I'm having trouble keeping it together. Like those are phrases that come out of me a lot. Um, And so on one hand, I do need to relax. But on the other hand, too much relaxation is going to feel super uncomfortable for me. And when I get in those situations, I tend to reach for teasel Mm. um, as a tincture in that particular case. Uh, But I do tend to reach for teasel because it helps me keep it together, and bounce back. Um, and so I think that is something pretty amazing about rooibos, that it has that relaxing action, it has that spasmodic action, but it also has just enough astringency that I feel like, no, no, I've got it together. I'm
1: contained. I'm not going to, like, <laughs> right. you know, like, I, I don't know, I'm picturing a, a backyard pool, you know, um, like one a- of the... Like above, above ground, ground pool one, that... yeah, yeah, and then at some point, like, the somebody like runs into it sideways or whatever, and the thing just like splits open and spills everywhere, yeah, yeah.
0: That's a, that's <laughs> a thing I worry about a lot, uh
1: huh,
0: in me, yeah. Well, <laughs> like... and and
1: like you said, you know, high doses of well, various doses of kava can sometimes feel that way in you,
0: yeah, yeah, um, like, yeah. literally, I don't know, I'm clearly there must be something on the internet about an above ground pool collapsing and all the water going everywhere because I have a very clear image of that in my mind as Mm -hmm. soon as you started to talk about it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I worry. Like that is an emotional state that I feel like I always have to protect myself from. Mm. Anyway, so I really appreciate that rooibos comes prepackaged with just enough astringency so that you can relax without falling apart.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, um, you know, rooibos also has uh, some some evidence and some, some logic behind it to be protective to the whole cardiovascular system. That's that antioxidant effect coupled with the relaxant quality. That's going to solve some of the major tissue states that underlie common cardiovascular pathologies, um, especially for stressed out people who aren't really taking care of themselves and getting enough colorful veggies.
0: Why are you looking at me?
1: I'm looking at everyone. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, I was also uh, excited to find, uh, evidence that rooibos can help with blood sugar regulation because that's another super common problem, um, that most of us can use some support with and some, some help with, uh, plants are fantastic for that. Lots of plants can help out, uh, in this direction. Um, but, uh, it's always cool when we have, have good evidence for that. Mm. And it's nice to see that with rooibos. And then yeah, it's
0: Yeah, it's like we don't always have awesome studies that give us the evidence base to see something and that doesn't mean it isn't there. Yeah. But it's super fun when we have that. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah, we like
1: that. We like that. Um and it's also been uh identified as a chemo protective herb, um, which can mean protection from like, you know, occupational exposure to dangerous chemicals, but it can also mean that if someone is going through chemotherapy, uh this would be an herb that could help that to be more successful and less painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is, this is common with other antioxidant herbs, uh, antioxidant rich herbs. Um,
0: yeah, that's an area that Eleuthero has been really studied in depth for in terms for of a long time now. potentiating chemotherapy, but also protecting the not cancer cells mm-hmm. from the damage of the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is, it is like an, an actual category of, okay, no, I don't mean that there is a category of herbs that has been like codified. But that chemoprotective aspect is something that has been studied and there are herbs with quite a bit of, of yeah, we can give them evidence name. behind them. Yeah,
1: right, right, right. Yeah. So um, it's, it's just fantastic when we can have uh, a plant like this that's supporting some of the most common problems uh, that people are going to encounter health wise, um, that's supporting these like critical hubs of uh, physiological health and activity. Um, and tastes good.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Right. I keep coming back to that. Um, speaking of flavor, so uh, rooibos and a friend called honeybush are often um, conflated, like talked about in the same breath uh, or as the same plant. So honeybush is technically a different herb, a different species. It's a cyclopia species. Um, there's a, a number of different species in that genus that are used uh, to, to make this tea.
0: Cyclopia. Yes,
1: like Cyclops. Yeah, um, I think it's because of the flowers looking like big eyes. I mm, something like that.
0: Uh, I I sometimes the Latin names make me so happy. Yeah. I just yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> keep going. I just need to think about cyclopia for a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is you know considered to be really similar. Uh, like all the way back, you know, it's another kind of like a red tea uh, plant. Uh, honeybush, if anything, has even lower tannin content than rooibos does. Um, it is also processed in the same way uh, for commercial sale, uh, which is to say that it has that, quote, fermentation or, or oxidation process uh, done to it to alter the flavor and make it more appealing and everything. Um, has a lot of similar constituents to to rooibos. Um, so there's, there's good reasons uh, for people talking about these in the, in the same breath. Um, but they are different plants and it is it is fun if you're an herbalist to like do a little blind taste test. Yes,
0: get both. Make
1: make a, a quart of this and a quart of that, and you know alternate your cups of tea. And mm-hmm. you know you can uh, cover the labels and see if you can figure them out by by flavor and everything. And yeah. these
0: are fun games you can play with your spouse, your children, your friends,
1: herbal yeah. community group. You know all yeah. that stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what y'all do for fun, <laughs> but in our house. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right That's right um, Other fun things uh, So uh, I discovered in the course of Putting some notes together for this episode That winemakers in South Africa Are doing a cool thing nowadays um, Taking rooibos And honeybush um, uh, These they, they can get I, I picture them kind of like elder Where it's sort of like a tree But it's not like a you know 90 foot tall pine or you know, a giant oak or something no, like, like that. it's like a scrubby kind of tree. Yeah. Uh, but the, anyway, winemakers are taking the wood from rooibos and honeybush and using that instead of oak during the maturation phase uh, where the wine is, you know, resting and, and aging and everything. Um, and so the the cool thing about this is that the high antioxidant content from the herbs is sufficient for preservative purposes because you do want to prevent oxidation of your wine. And that's why uh, they tend to put sulfites into there, right? Sulfur dioxide. Um, but what they found is that when they put the ribus and the honeybush wood into the barrels, uh, as the wine is aging, you don't even need sulfur dioxide. You don't have to add any sulfites at all. Um, and so the, the herb is going to basically just be antioxidant enough that it can protect the wine as it matures. So That's really cool. Um, also apparently makes it uh, a a distinctive, you know, uh, palate and mouthfeel and so on.
0: Yes, Um, I would really love to try this.
1: Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard to get your hands on unless you're living in South Africa currently. However, it is super easy to infuse wine with herbs at home.
0: Yes, and super delicious. I highly recommend it.
1: Yeah, we really like to do it. And look, for this, you can buy cheap wine. I mean, uh, (laughs) two (laughs) buck, two buck chuck was a thing, uh, Is still a thing, I imagine. Um, What is it? Charles Mondavi. There's like these $2 bottles of wine you can get at like Trader Joe's or something. And (laughs) sometimes I would intentionally get that for a class that we were going to do on on herb-infused wines just to emphasize for people, like, you want to have some wine. It should be like a style that matches with the flavor of the herb you're going to get and everything. But you don't need it to be like super fancy wine for this. The flavors of your herbs are going to overpower a lot of the flavor from the wine itself.
0: They're going to redeem
1: Ah, there you go. They're going
0: to redeem <laughs> that cheap wine. Yeah,
1: that's what's up. Yes. That's what's up. So, yeah, so I, uh, I, well, I want to go and get some cheap wine and get some rooibos and pour them in a jar together and infuse it and see what we can get. Yeah,
0: well, you know, right now my favorite herb-infused wine is Damiana. Hmm. But just thinking about rooibos infused in wine, that seems like such a great idea. Yeah. it might it give sense. It might give Damiana a run for its, I don't know. A run.
1: A run, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be something we're going to try out soon, and I encourage you to do that as well. Um, and then one other thought, uh, rooibos-infused cider is fantastic. and we're, we're
0: drinking it right now, y'all, and oh my god.
1: We're, we're in fact having rooibos-infused chider. That's where you put chai spices in your cider, right? So some apple cider. Uh, today we have rooibos, ginger, cardamom, uh, cinnamon, cinnamon. Uh, and then I don't remember the rest because there couldn't... was
0: allspice, there was nutmeg. Um, I think I didn't put in. I don't think I put in star anise this time. Mm-hmm. I was in a rush. Any cloves? No, I don't think. no so. we would taste them. Yeah, no, there's not cloves in here. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: but anyway, find your favorite chai yeah, spices. Yeah, whatever.
0: Yeah, whatever your yeah. your chai preferences. I yeah, I should have put anise in. I just was I don't know, got distracted or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but it yeah, doesn't it's... matter
0: because the rooibos is so good <laughs> that any lack of anise is fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Rooibos um... has
0: redeemed my <laughs> my anise-less
1: mm-hmm. blend. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. If you're making a pumpkin spice thing, you can sneak rooibos in there. It's going to fit in really nicely.
0: You don't have to sneak it in.
1: No, you no. can carry you can, it in right in front can of everyone. Walk it in on struts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, Right through the front door. Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, anyway, so those are some thoughts from us on Pleurisy root and on roebus. Uh, I hope you found that uh, interesting and and entertaining. Um, we're going to continue on next week with somebody up there. I think perhaps Astragalus is coming soon. Maybe chatavri is on the on the way. Um, so anyway, tune in next time. For some more Holistic Herbalism podcasts. Until then, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Drink some tea or some infused wine or some chider. Chider, Some rooibos
0: chider. Yeah. Drink some.
1: Drink it. And uh, we'll see you again soon.
0: Bye-bye.